several years ago, probably 13 or 14 years ago now, Tara and I were sitting in the basement of our bi-level home when we heard a repeated thud coming down the six steps into our basement. And we look up from where we were seated and we see that the watermelon that had been sitting on the landing between the two levels of our home had been pushed down the first step and had conveniently rolled down each step all the way into the basement and rolled into the basement. And when we asked the three-year-old perpetrator why he rolled the watermelon down the steps, he simply replied with, you didn't tell me it was a sin. In our passage of study this morning, we will find that ignorance does not, in fact, excuse anyone from the wrath of Almighty God, because nobody is ignorant. Would you please locate Romans chapter 1 in your copy of the scriptures? Romans is a letter that's written both to Jewish and Gentile Christians who are part of the church at Rome. Paul had yet to meet these people. He had not been there yet. He he was familiar with them. He tells us in the first part of of the letter that their faith had been proclaimed in all the world, and he gave thanks for that. But he planned to come to the church at Rome on his way to Spain to be, continue to be a missionary, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. So on his way to Spain, he's going to stop by Rome, and he's hoping that the, that the believers, the Jewish and Gentile believers of the church of Rome would help him on his way to Spain. And they would help him with his endeavor to go to Spain and to proclaim the gospel. It reminds me of what we're doing with, with David and Jennifer Willows, very, very practically, right? They were on their way to Spain. They came by to visit us, and we're helping them. We're continuing to support them as they proclaim the gospel in the Basque region of Spain, as is the case with all of our missionaries wherever they're located. So our study is, is considering the, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the undeserved, the unmatched, the unstoppable gospel of Jesus We've identified six sections in this letter. Currently, we're in the the second section that runs from chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 25. And we're calling that the heart of the gospel. Paul is explaining to the church at Rome, what is the gospel? Why is the gospel necessary? How is the gospel personalized? How it's received? Now, remember, Paul is telling us that we don't have the righteousness that we need. So the book of Romans is is clearly about the righteousness of God. And so Paul explains to us that we need God's righteousness, but we don't have God's righteousness. He explains to us that we need to 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 have that righteousness clothed and to be clothed in it, that that righteousness is ours. And that's only available through the gospel. So when he explains the heart of the gospel... He begins by talking about the righteousness of God being revealed through wrath. And that's the rest of chapter 1. And then he explains the righteousness of God is reigning with justice. It's fair. It's right. It's good. And then he explains the righteousness of God is received by faith. And that's chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter 4, verse number 25. So we're studying that first subdivision right there. The righteousness of God being revealed through his, through his wrath. Last week we talked about the character of God's wrath. Just the fact that Romans chapter 1 verse, verse 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of men, unrighteousness and godliness of men, who suppress the truth 
with their unrighteousness. Today and next Lord's Day, God willing, we're looking at the causes of God's wrath. And then we'll close it out, that section, with the consequences of God's wrath. The rest of chapter 1, Lord willing, here in, in two or three weeks. And then I'm going to take a couple of Sundays where I'll be away on vacation. So last week we considered the, the character of God's wrath. Today we're considering the part of the causes of God's wrath. Today's part one of the causes of God's wrath is, is wrapped around God and, and why God's wrath is necessary because of something about God. And then next week we see some causes that are more wrapped around man and, and why God's wrath is necessary because of, of man. Last week we considered the character of God's wrath. We we considered verses 16 and 17 of, of Romans chapter 1. It's, it's the heart, it's the meat of, of, the, of Romans, it's the theme. I encourage you last week, if you weren't here, when we covered Romans 1, 16 and 17, go back and watch that sermon again. It's, it's, it's really paramount, it's foundational for our study. Paul said in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the gospel, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, here it is, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So then Paul expands in verse 18, as we said last week, why is God's wrath being revealed? Precisely because, because why is God's gospel, his righteousness being revealed? Precisely because his wrath is revealed. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Or as we could say it this way, who suppress the truth. Verses 16 and 17 tell us that God revealed his righteousness, the righteousness that we so desperately need. Why did he do it? Because he's also revealed his anger, his indignation against our sin. Thomas Watson, a Puritan writer, he said it this way. As the love of God makes every bitter thing sweet, so the curse of God makes every sweet thing bitter. There is anger from God for sin. There is mercy from God by faith. How could a God who loves only what is pure not loathe what is impure? Somebody else put it this way. Before we can understand the grace of God, we must first understand his wrath. Before we can understand the meaning of the death of Christ, we must first understand why man's sin made that death necessary. Before we can begin to comprehend how loving and merciful and gracious God is, we must first see how rebellious and sinful and guilty unbelieving mankind is. Would you please follow along as I read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, who suppress the truth. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Or we could say it this way, it's plain to them. For God has shown it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and his Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that... 
When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and to creeping things. These verses explain what causes God's wrath. Namely, God's revelation, what that means, and then, next week, man's rejection, and the way man's thinking, his reasoning, and man's religion. What causes God to be angry? Well, the first thing that causes him to be angry is what he's, is that he, what he's revealed about himself. Man cannot plead ignorance in the matter of ungodliness because God has revealed himself. Therefore, man has no excuse. Two big points for you to hang your thoughts on this morning. The fact of God's revelation to, of himself and the means of God's revelation of himself to man. So first, the fact of God's revelation. Verse 19, he says it. Because, why is God's wrath being revealed from, from, from heaven? Because that, that which may be known to God is made manifest to them. God has shown it to them. Friends, be reminded that this particular section was addressed especially to the Gentiles. The Gentiles did not have God's word as Israel had received it earlier. Paul here gives evidence to what he asserted in verse number 18, that men are suppressing his, the truth of God, of God's existence. Paul states it. What can be known about God is manifest. It's plain to them. This is what men, this is what human, humanity is trying to suppress, that God is. God has acted. God has not remained idle. God has not uh, been uninvolved. God has acted to reveal himself to all the world. Creator God has chosen to disclose himself. I suppose it didn't have to be that way. God didn't have to do it this way. But he has chosen to make himself plain, to manifest himself to all of humanity. Paul says, what can be known about God is made known to all who attempt to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So what does this mean? How is this knowledge characterized? Maybe one way that we could characterize it is an awareness that we are aware. God reveals himself. He makes humanity aware of his existence. God makes himself known to humanity. We all, we all are aware as humans that God is. For instance, we could think about the, the Old Testament. So we could look at the Old Testament and think about the Philistines and the Egyptians and the Canaanites. They became aware of God's existence. They didn't know Jehovah God as, as their saving God. They didn't have faith in Jehovah God. But they were certainly aware of God being. That's the point. Nobody can correctly claim ignorance of God. And that means no person can correctly claim that God's wrath against them is unfair. Nobody can claim that God Almighty's anger against their sin is unjust. Or unfair. God has indeed revealed himself to all of humanity. And because he has revealed himself, he will exercise wrath on those who suppress the truth. Christian, brothers and sisters, take time to thank God that he is not idle. That he has not, in fact, remained silent. God has spoken by his prophets God has spoken by his, by, through his son, Jesus Christ, who came. He has spoken through the apostles. This is not a small matter to be overlooked. It's a huge deal. God has made himself known to humanity. 
Be deliberate this week in thanking God that he has not remained silent, that he has spoken to us. Man cannot plead ignorance in the matter of ungodliness because God has revealed himself to us. That's the fact of God revealing himself to us. But secondly, the means of God's revelation. Verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of God, from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and divine nature, or his Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Having stated that God has plainly revealed himself, the Apostle Paul now gets specific in how that happens. Creation. God has made known his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature. God has made known his omnipotence. God's power is seen in the falls of Niagara or the the heat of summer or the snow of winter. God's power is seen in the the speed of a cheetah and, and the strength of a bison. God's omnipotence cannot be matched. His invisible attribute of eternal power has been revealed in creation. Likewise, his divine nature, his Godhead, his Godness is revealed. Acts chapter 14 verse 17 says this, God did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. God has been making known his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, Paul tells us, ever since the beginning, ever since the creation of the world. Have you considered outer space? The galaxies beyond ours, other planets, the vastness of it all? Was it all an accident? I recently watched some 4K video footage from the surface of Mars. It's amazing. I never have been there, and I never plan to go, but it's amazing to see what technology has, been brought, has brought back to us and to think that's one other planet out of all that God has created. It's amazing. Or how about the human body? Even if we narrowed it down just to, to, our, to our, our consideration, just to our eye. The eye is, is super delicate. Its value to us is, is incalculable. It's intricate working with the human brain. It's, if you study it long, if you study it briefly, you'll find it mind-boggling. Was all that an accident? Did the human eye come into existence without a developer, without an original, uh, someone working an, an original idea out for it to be made? Was it all just a big giant coincidence? Here is the point that Paul is driving home to us. God has made himself known to the world through his work in creation. Every human being knows God via creation. God is known through the leaves, through the dew on the grass, the sunrise, the mountains. The scriptures tell us that the heavens are declaring the glory of God and the sky above is is proclaiming the handiwork of God. For the Christian, we can respond with thanksgiving, can't we? We can respond with adoration and with awe for our creator. It's time for us to step back away from the crazy current national situation that we are in and to stand in awe of God. God has made himself known to the world through his work in creation. And Paul tells us that anyone who suppresses this truth is going to face the wrath of God. 
What is the cause of God's anger? God is angry because he has made himself known to humans who are suppressing that truth. Quickly understand this. Paul is not claiming that God reveals the whole truth about salvation through nature. Actually, the natural man will never arrive at a, at a knowledge of salvation by studying creation alone. You won't find the love of God, the grace of God, the compassion of God as you hike the Grand Canyon. You will find the greatness, the mighty, the justice, the glory, and the majesty of God in creation. So general revelation, as it's known in theology books, is not enough to save someone, but it is enough to make that person inexcusable. And that's Paul's point. Man is responsible to respond to God's general revelation, to seek out and to submit to God. But because man doesn't do that, God will be angry with that person. Because God has revealed himself, he will exercise his wrath. Now, there is a question that I dare not skip past as we come to this passage. Here's the question that many people debate. What happens to the innocent native in an African hut who has never heard about our Savior, Jesus Christ? And here is the answer to that question. If that person is innocent, he has no need of a Savior. Jesus did not come into the world to save innocent people. Jesus came into the world to save guilty sinners. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is none righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one does good. Not even one. There are no innocent natives in huts in Africa. There are no innocent Eskimos in igloos in, at the North Pole. God has revealed himself to all in his creation. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, give witness to his existence so that all are without excuse. Just because you have not heard about Jesus does not make you innocent. General, natural revelation cannot save. We need special revelation. We need to know about Jesus. And this is precisely why we, as God's children and Christ followers, must aggressively pursue our obedience to the Great Commission. Jesus sent us into the world so that people could be told that he had come to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus commissioned his followers to go into all the world and to make disciples everywhere. So natural re revelation leads not to salvation, but to the demonstration that God's wrath is indeed just and that people are without excuse, all of us. And that very verdict only serves to increase our urgency in pursuing the third goal of Harvest Bible Church, the Great Commission. Romans chapter 10, we'll get there sometime. Romans chapter 10 says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news of Jesus. 
Brothers and sisters of Harvest Bible Church, let us be moved with compassion to the lost of our own community. Let us be moved with compassion even as Christ was moved with compassion as he came into the city for our, for, for our city and for our nation and for our world. Let us be intently focused on going to the lost and sending others to go to the lost. One of the most intentional thoughts that you can, that you can have today one of the most sobering truths that you can ponder today is that people are dying and going to hell today. We, don't know, we do not know when Christ will return, but until he does, let us find ourselves speaking of him to others. Let us give aggressively of our financial resources to gospel furthering efforts. Let us make disciples first in our own homes then through the church and our community and beyond. Let us pray. Let us take up the responsibility to pray for our gospel partners around the globe that God would give them boldness as they go and make disciples. Why is God angry with those who suppress the truth? Why is it part of God's character to be indignant about sin? Why is God's righteousness revealed through his wrath? One reason is because he has plainly revealed himself. He has manifested himself to all of humility, to all of humanity. God has, has, has testified through his creation that he rules over all. Therefore, no one is without excuse. Nobody can claim, like a three-year-old, that they didn't know. Nobody is without excuse. Friend, if you sit under the preaching of God's word today, you've heard the truth of special revelation that Jesus has come to live and to die and to rise for us. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I invite you to do that today, to call upon the name of the Lord. If you have more questions about what that means, talk to one of us afterwards. We'd be glad to show you from God's word what it means to be a Christ follower. Christian, one of the greatest ways that we can learn from this passage is to, to have our, our burden for the lost increased. Not only to, 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 to be willing to, 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 to know that other people need to hear about Jesus, but to be involved ourselves, to raise the awareness of others that they need the Lord. Secondly, we can respond by rejoicing in what God has done for us in Christ, that God has reconciled us to himself. He has gone to great lengths, sacrificing his own son. He had to go to that length because our sin was so great. God has reconciled us through the death of his son. Jesus Christ. Let us apply that this morning as we close our service and sing of that reconciliation that we have. I'm going to invite the ensemble to come back and to take your, their place and they will lead us and we will stand and we will sing, Arise, my soul, arise. Would you please join us in standing to sing?